Welcome to another episode of Left on Red Podcast. I am Jen, also known as Brooklyn Jordan. And I'm Dwayne. So for today's episode, we're going to start off talking about Friday Black, which is a short stories collection. And later on, we're going to get into the docuseries that just premiered, um, Surviving R. Kelly. So yeah, so we'll start off with um, the short story collection. Now, this is the debut of this author, Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. And I mean, I saw this. It was called Friday Black. I was like, what is this about Black Friday? Like, what is it about? I've never read anything like it. Um, Yeah, I really just haven't. The author himself, he said when he was writing this, he wasn't focusing on a particular genre per se. And it's kind of clear because I'm like, is this dystopian? Is this sci-fi? Is this satire? It's kind of hard to really quantify what it is. But what I felt while reading this, I felt like this was just stories of our current society, which maybe with a little tweaking to make it seem a little bit more like the irony, oh, the irony of this. But at the same time, it's so accurate where it's scary. Have you ever like turned your blackness down <laughs> in certain scenarios? Uh, the reason I ask that, because the, oh, like the opening short story is about a lot of things, but one of the things in it is it's almost like there's a dial where it's measuring his blackness throughout the day. Like, I don't know if he's measuring it, because the story is almost told not from his perspective, but it's a third person Um, narrative on this and you're following this guy throughout the day and his blackness starts off at like a seven point something and then when he's um, gets a phone call for an interview it goes down to a 2.6 and it's almost like is he measuring the blackness or is it more so they're doing it from the point of how society as a whole or as maybe white people view the level of comfort they they feel towards us that depends on what you consider blackness. I don't know. I mean, I guess that would be similar to code switching or something like that. But I mean, I guess I probably have at some points, but sometimes I also um, turn it up um, in situations where I might normally have in the past or where generally you would think people turn it down because um, I want to normalize my blackness in certain situations where it may not be normalized, um, if that makes sense. So, but I think there are generally times where um, I probably do turn down my blackness, whatever, whatever that means, I guess. I know Dion Cole has a bit um, about turning down his blackness, basically, or managing his blackness. Um, and it's like when he's in the grocery store or, you know, following a white person at, by accident. But, yeah. So it's just interesting, and also what you said with cold switching, because I was thinking of that too, because I was like, I don't think I really turn my blackness up or down, but then I guess I do cold switch sometimes without knowing that I'm cold switching. Like sometimes it's literally just more so like the way I'm talking right now, where I'm very relaxed or whatever like that. If I'm at work and I'm in a meeting or something like that, like I just know like I'm going to sound different. And it's not really like I'm, it's still both me, but it's just... Yeah, yeah, like yeah. for instance, I'll just give this example. When I have braids in my hair, like my blackness automatically goes up. Like it's just automatic. Like my blackness just whether I I'm acting exactly the same, but I notice people around me act different, and it's it's just what it is. Like people receive me different on both ends of the spectrum. Like I've had it where when I got braids, I remember I was starting a new job and I had got these blonde braids. 
And of course, at the interview, I didn't have those blonde braids. <laughs> but so you toned down your blackness, I guess. <laughs> I didn't actually. I didn't tone it down because I still had my natural hair at the interview. Um, but I didn't have um, blonde braids. I'll say that. And I like to switch up my hair. Clearly, I have blue. Y'all can't see me if you're listening, but I have blue hair right now. So it just goes with my personality. Would I have worn it to the interview? No. <laughs> but um, anyways, the point of this was. When I had the blonde braids, I remember like these, the, there was these, um, these two black women that I know that I would smile at sometimes and I would say hi to, but I think because I was working, the environment that I was working in, they couldn't tell if I was like, not if I was down or not, but it was like they couldn't really tell like if I was just trying to fit in like with white people or if I was, me and myself are real. So when they saw the bl- blonde braids, I remember literally, your hair look good who did your hair and it was like this instant bond that we had and it was like almost like they could tell that okay she's cool and I felt like relief like I was like oh they like they okay so we good now so now we could just talk and I mean we would just talk about whatever and it was almost like I would decompress with them because there weren't that many black people in the office on the other hand my boss at the time he wasn't negative towards it but it was just where he would come up and talk to me more regularly and he would kind of tell me to do X, Y, and Z. When I had the braids, I almost felt like I had this, there was almost like, not a superpower, but it was almost like I wasn't getting approached as much. And maybe some people would have viewed that as a negative and it probably was a negative, (laughs) but for me, I was like, I guess it worked out so I could be left alone to do the tasks that I needed. I wasn't getting bombarded as much. But again, I mean, who knows? Yeah. I could just tell my, that my blackness level was amped up in that scenario. Um, <laughs> do you have any instances um, like that? Let me think real quick. Um, so instances of trying to um, turn up my blackness, I'll try and use phrases or talk about black culture and stuff like that really? with my colleagues so that they understand this is what professional is because I mean the professional standard is just based on a different culture it's not something special and so if we can make black culture normalized in professional culture then it becomes professional and so that's something that I try and do Um, see I guess I don't try and do it I think I because I'm just older now and I just don't care because I'm like I'm so talented, it don't matter. So I just come I mean, in being like me, no, and no. even if something comes off like I'm, super no, black, I'm, I'm just I'm like- I'm still me. Okay. I guess I feel like avoiding turning down your blackness is almost oh, okay, so that's what you in mean. a work oh. setting. But no, I do okay, make okay. specific effort to mention certain things at certain times, um, or point out things that maybe people aren't aware of. Like if something comes up, I don't just, you know, wouldn't just be quiet on it, I would. Um, you know, say something about it. Yeah, I guess that's what, I guess it's the same thing, but we don't consider it turning up or not. Because I was going to say, like, I guess in the scenario that you just presented, that would be me turning it up. But in my head, I'm like, I'm just, I guess that's, again, from the point of the view from the other person, because the other people might be feeling like, oh, he's at an 8.6. So, okay, let me just give you the scenario of how the story kind of starts. One, the story is interesting because, it is called the Finkelstein Five, and just a brief. Finkelstein. 
Why why are you doing this? Go ahead. No, you say the story because Dwayne keeps saying I'm saying the name wrong. So go ahead and say it. It could be Steen, it could be Stein, but say it. It's Finkelstein or Finkelstein, one of the two. What am I saying? You're saying a couple of different things each time. (laughs) You're messing up either the beginning or the end each time. Okay, so the short story Finkelstein. Thank you. Um, So that it's. Or Steen. So, okay, so it starts off with basically there's a guy who gets an interview. He's waking up, and there's a lot on his mind. He gets an interview for this job, and he has to go pick to the mall to pick out something to wear. Simultaneously, um, there's a trial that happened recently or that is in the works, and it's basically about these five kids who were murdered, um, or depending on whatever point of view you are, who were killed or whatever outside of a library and the reason why they were killed was because some a guy who was leaving the library with his two children felt threatened even though it was broad daylight and the five kids were young kids and I say all this to say he's going about his day and his black black meter is going up and down so when he picks up the phone his blackness goes down to 2.6 and he's like hi yeah I would love to come in and you know and then when he ends up going to the bus he because he decides you know what he's gonna wear some comfortable jeans he's gonna he because of his clothing and stuff like that his blackness ends up going up to like almost an eight and the people on the bus are like moving out his way kind of and like as he goes to sit down the two people suddenly automatically realize they had some place to be and like leave of course and you know people are just uncomfortable with him and then I think after he gets a little settled in his blackness kind of creeps down a little bit where people kind of observed and realized maybe not that dangerous so someone comes and sit by him and stuff like that so it's interesting and then he sees like a buddy of his blackness goes up and it's it's just following him throughout the day throughout the mall when he's shopping in the store and how his blackness is perceived or how it's being metered so when he describes the scene on the bus the reason why I was thinking of that was I knew exactly what he was talking about like this is a situation where I was like you know what I may sometimes turn my blackness up because I do this on planes when I'm sitting down and it's Southwest and it's like open seated, I'm not trying to turn my blackness up, but I may make sure my hoodie's on and I may have my big beats on, which everybody wears beats, everybody wears hoodies. So, I mean, it depends on everybody how you perceive it. Everybody doesn't wear hoodies. Well, but go ahead. they make them, whatever. So, you know, I just, I, I may have my blackness a little bit higher, and I'm aware that people are seeing me as not as approachable, probably. Right. Which, it made me laugh reading that, because that's not something you really talk about. And I felt like that's even deeper than code switching. Because it is about code switching, but in the same sense, it's yeah. like, I don't know, what is that? It's like uh, using racism against people, as opposed to protecting yourself from racism. Yeah, and it all, honestly, though, in the book, I don't want to say that's what the author was doing. But when I was reading it from my perspective, I was like... And wait, let me correct that. Using It's more like using other people's racism against them as opposed to protecting yourself from other people's racism. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That's actually a good way. And I don't know if that's the angle the author was coming from, but when I was reading it, that's what it just made me think of immediately. And I was like, nobody ever wrote something about yeah. this. It was just really um, entertaining. And there was a couple there was a couple of stories I was like, I was so extra 
I was reading them to Dwayne because I was like, ooh, Dwayne, you got to hear this. So what were some of the ones when I read to you that like, so, stood out? There was a story about fetuses. <laughs> um, and he used language in the way he started off describing the story because Jen kind of read a little bit to me. Um, as a bedtime story, she read me to sleep. Anyway, I really did. That's the, <laughs> the funny part. But anyway, um, so he was just using language and describing things in ways that, you know, I just wasn't used to. It was almost like, can you say that? Um, yeah. I mean, and it, it was funny, like, because when that part came, I just bust out laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The story he's talking about is really interesting. If I talk about it, it's not going to, it's going to sound very the, dark. Read the passage that you read to me. Really? Oh my God. Just the, just the two same thing. Second tiny fetus. Okay, so the passage, wait, let me read again. It goes, a second tiny fetus climbed up onto <laughs> up my comforter onto my bed. Her name I knew was Jamie Lou. Phew, Jamie Lou said at the summit, which was up near my pillow. No, it's phew. She just got done climbing. <laughs> you know, read it wrong. What the heck kind of sound effects is phew? So you don't have the balls, huh? He repeated while thrusting and grabbing the space between his tiny, tiny legs. Legs that would never grow big enough to kick things like bottle caps or soccer balls or other people. I think I have more balls than you, and I'm still like a trimester from genitalia. Here he paused as if in reflection. What are balls like? Jamie giggled. Why are you so you, ridiculous? You didn't even read that like you read it to me. It doesn't matter. Whatever the point Man, is. Man, you ain't got no balls. That's what you said to me. <laughs> Where's that at? <laughs> okay, so another theme in the book, I mean, I guess we touched on race. We didn't really talk about the abortion part, but that was the story that you were talking about referring to. There's also an interesting one um, that kind of, I don't know where the author was going with it, but it's almost like there's a kid. It's a society where they make these perfect people and everyone is brutally honest. Like, no one holds bar, and so he's in at school and the teacher tells him he's dumb and all this other stuff, and he knows he's dumb, and... There's just, why are you laughing? <laughs> What's funny about that? Because the saying doesn't, I don't think, work in the way you said it. Because it's no holds barred. So, like, in a wrestling match, some holds or some things are barred or not allowed. Oh, my God, we're not getting into this. And so, this no people tangent. hold their bards. Okay, you, you my can, God. So, you can't necessarily. What did I say? It's no hold bar. No, no hold. people don't hold their bards. I don't even know what bards are. I thought it was bars. No. Holds. Bard. Yeah, okay. No, no holds. Bard. Okay. Not I never knew that. Everything's allowed. Bro, okay. I didn't know that. What is that? An idiom? Yes. I yeah, guess. I didn't know that one. Okay, <laughs> anyways. So, yeah, so he, he's been told he's stupid. And it's like, how does that affect a student? And all this He's stuff. been told what? He's told he's stupid. Like there's nothing he could do. He's just dumb. He's not gonna. He's not gonna pick up stuff as much. And it's funny because this part's not funny. Oh my god, it's not funny. It's just funny because in the. <laughs> oh my god, I'm a horrible person. I'm not. It's funny because in the story, it's like the class reads way like super fast, like way fast. So he doesn't even bother reading. He just looks at videos while they're like. <laughs> This is not the intent of the story. <laughs> this is 
Twitter. Come on, man. You got me sweating in here. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Okay. Well, let me just skip that story. All right. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> sorry, we had this. <laughs> We should leave that in unless no, somebody might get offended by it. Clearly, that's what I'm saying. And this is a book channel, and you can't be laughing at that. <laughs> it might sound okay when we... But it's not even funny. I don't up? know. But I don't even know why I'm laughing, because it, it didn't make me laugh when I read it. It's just explaining right, it out loud. It made me laugh. Because you imagine the person you know. In real life, <laughs> too. Anyway, go ahead. No, okay. And it sucks because the class is like making fun of him while this is happening and all this other stuff. Anyways, that's besides the point. Let me not even get into that. What I will get into is it also touches on retail, which I thought was interesting because at some point in life, we both worked in retail. Um, and there was a couple of stories. I feel like if you at any point in your life worked in retail, it would just relate to um, one of the instances was more so like on um, – the guy, he's like a top seller, and he just sells stuff, and he doesn't really do a good job otherwise, but numbers <laughs> is all that matters. So he's like technically an all-star employee, um, but the only thing he's good at really is selling. Like he takes long breaks. <laughs> he just isn't really that. It's just. It's there's just, nothing wrong with long breaks, and there's nothing wrong with being a top seller. Yeah, anyways, and he just talked about, like, the stupidness of all of it, like, the stupid, the stupidity, kind of, like, um, highlights the stupidity of all of it, is what I should say. So, yeah, it's funny. And then Friday Black, the title of the book is the title story in there. There's a short story in there called um, Friday Black, and it's about Black Friday, and it's interesting because they don't say it's zombies, but it's basically, like, the population on Black Friday, how they're in a frenzy and they're like trying to get stuff and they're like trampling over people and killing people to get stuff. And, you know, they just basically like sweep off the bodies and put them in trash cans to keep the stores, like the lines and stuff going. And the customers are like foaming out the mouth. They speak a different language. And it's interesting because the story is really what happens. But because you add the foaming of the mouth and stuff, it makes it sound like fiction. But everything that's said is like, it's current society who's just the irony of all of it. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just like the way we just buy stuff. And even though we're not, as in when I say we're, you and me, we're not big Black Friday necessarily people. And we never go, mm -hmm. we could never do those crowds and stuff. But it's just the instant of always wanting to have something. Okay. So, yeah. So, I would definitely recommend this book. The book's just freaking dope. It touches on so many things from regular society. Like I said, if like from retail, from um, racism from class issues from pretty much everyday life and everyday scenarios that you can generate like this is a five-star read and I am looking forward to much much more from this author so definitely check this out so I guess now we can get into the docu-series that premiered this weekend for those of you who did not know it should still be on lifetime on on demand I don't know when they're gonna premiere it again but um, it was a six-part docu-series called Surviving R. Kelly, and it follows the allegations that surrounded R. Kelly and his life, basically. Um, the sexual misconduct, as well as the alleged abuse, and so much more. I mean, this docu-series was, wow, it was, it was a lot. Um, 
it was from the perspective of the survivors as well as some relatives, some people who knew R. Kelly, some people in the business. They had psychiatrists on there or psychologists, psychologists. sorry, psychologists on there. Um, and so many interviews, the parents of some of the alleged victims, I don't even want to call them alleged victims, but I guess, you know, they had to put like that R. Kelly has denied all of this. Um, but I mean, there's police reports. There's, there was this, the research that had to go into this was incredible. And, but, and I think a lot of research had already been done over the decades. Um, yeah, like three decades. So a lot of it was just, you know, using the source material that had already been done. A lot of it um, had been done by uh, sh- journalists, newspaper journalists in Chicago, as well as other um, Places journalists like around the country. Yeah, the different. Uh, oh, it's crazy. And so I think um, for a lot of us who grew up with it, but may not have been adults or teens, it really clarified a lot and put things in perspective for us because for a lot of us it may have just been jokes or we may have just known a little bit or things may have been uncertain or unclear at least for me and her but well, um, no. I also I also saw others you know well not for me and you because like we haven't we canceled our Kelly years ago no I'm saying things okay so just we can just clear oh okay yeah. yeah just for clarification because you said a lot of this may have been like jokes and stuff for a lot of people and stuff like that like we've canceled our kelly for years like from the it hasn't been jokes for us for a while now um but growing up i really wanted to understand the timeline of some of this stuff and i felt like the document docuseries did because me and Dwayne, we were trying to talk about like what was it that made us all of a sudden like a few years back where, where we were like no yeah. for our kelly I think it was about five or six years ago. I don't remember exactly. I'm not sure what was going on at the time, but at that point, it was just like, okay, I can't. We can't do, do this, this anymore. anymore. With with this whole thing, you know, I just kept trying to figure out like what was the reason as to why a few years back as to why it was starting to be taken seriously. And it was like we couldn't really figure out pinpoint what exactly the reason was. But when I was watching for the timeline of everything. I felt like I kind of understood a little bit more. I didn't realize that, you know, this was going on for three decades. There was various different allegations basically throughout our entire existence. But the period in which we actually ended up cutting R. Kelly off, I realized that was when we kind of left college and when we kind of became adults. I think from the time, like from the time when that video came out, we were in middle school or high school, and at that time, it didn't. I never seen the video. I still have never seen the videotape, and I Nor think. Nor have I. Yeah, and I think I just remember, like I don't remember people ever saying it was real. Like I felt like some people were like, "Oh, it was more so like a rumor. It wasn't clear imaging. It was always this big grayness around it, where in that day and age, nothing was really fact checked. It almost seemed like just a regular skit. Like you would see it in skits. You see it on Dave the Chappelle show I saw it on boondocks I used to love boondocks and stuff like that and you're watching the stuff but it just seems like oh this is just a joke like they do with a lot of celebrities whenever there's rumors out it doesn't really mean that this is true somehow when I got older because it just seemed like there were so many different stories and when I saw the marriage license with Aaliyah because I never really knew that that was actually true something about that was like wait that's disgusting like is that real and I was like ew there's just too much smoke. I don't really know all the details, but I just can't even listen to your music without thinking about the allegations anymore. So I'm going to have to X you out. So I think that's what it was mainly for 
Yeah, it probably just a, a maturity. So like Jim was saying, the tape, it was always a gray area in terms of my understanding of it. I never saw it. I always, from what I heard, that it was like not clear. Um, I didn't know that they had in the trial, there was all these eyewitnesses except for the um, parents. Um, I didn't know about, I think the biggest thing that it showed was that the sex cult type stuff was going on the whole time. Even if I did think it was something going on in terms of um, pedophilia, I thought it was one-off incidences where he might bring someone in or coerce someone, you know, one at a time. I didn't know through all that time they were all locked up in different rooms for decades. I thought, you know, yeah. I didn't know what. So that was a new. That was new for me. The amount of people. Yeah. Like, I had no idea. Like, even today, like, when they had on the, where, okay, just for clarity, it was too much for Dwayne. Dwayne hasn't watched the last two episodes. He needed a break. I've watched all six. But. Really, I could have watched them all, but the outside response just made it, every time I would see something, it would make me kind of angry about society. So it wasn't necessarily fully like I could have watched and wanted to watch but when I realized that it wasn't just him that and those on the you know film or the documentary that were the problem I couldn't isolate it from all the things that people were saying and I guess Um, what Dwayne is trying to talk about for those of you who aren't aware on Twitter and on like other social media outlets you get the voices or the opinions of multiple people even if, let's say, on your timeline, you see 100 people are saying, like, this is disgusting. Whenever you see those one or two instances where people are like, well, those girls, what were the parents doing? What, well, why would they, like, they're victim blaming. They, they don't really understand or don't really see the issue or they're like, oh, well, I'm still going to be playing this music. Like, those comments, those type of things, it's just too much. It's like, it's just, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And it's just like, it's, it's just, it's, it's just a lot. And I am thankful for the docu-series because I feel like this hopefully will help people who, one, are in the scenario where they can see that they're not alone, that they show people who got out and they show that it is possible to get out. Additionally, hopefully it will help people realize some of their behaviors where they realize I am doing the same things maybe not on the same levels, but I'm somewhere on that spectrum and they can probably identify. So maybe they can course correct. And also for the general population, I hope with the psychologists and with the different explanations of the psychology behind this as to why someone who is abused may not leave because it's not that simple, like at hopefully explaining that will help people to just have a better understanding and not be so ignorant and not be so victim blaming. You know, of course, not everybody's going to get the same message that you want out of this, but I feel like it was a well-rounded docu-series to touch on so many points where you can get something from this. Yeah. And I did see some important things like other people on social media saying they didn't know all this stuff. They didn't know, you know, because we were so kind of young, technically. Um, And I think even some of the people commenting now are young, like how we were when we were playing, still playing the music and not caring. So maybe they will grow out of that as well. But I think the bottom line is that um, people hate women generally and black women specifically. And so that's to me is the root of 
everything that's going on in this particular case. Um, because there's no way you could imagine that somebody would, or authorities or anybody would let this continue to happen without repercussions. Repercussions like if these were um, white girls. As people said in the documentary, there's just no way. You can't even imagine I tried that, to that imagine would be possible. It. I tried to imagine the scenario. Like I literally said, how would this have played out if there was white? And as soon as I think it, my brain will not allow me to get two steps further. Like I can't even fathom. It wouldn't even come to the sex ring. It wouldn't even come to this cult-like stuff. And to hear the stories of the families and to hear the trauma, the brainwashing, the degrading stuff that took place, like it is getting to the point where I don't even know how you can build this type of protection around you where you're allowed to continue to do this. Like it's gotten so strategic where you literally have people allegedly or possibly signing false statements to basically condemn themselves in future situations if they ever try to come out against you. You have it where you are isolating people, you're starving people, you're doing all these crazy strategic things on breaking down an individual where you're not even, they use the term brainwashing, but this is even bigger than brainwashing. I'm like, you literally so, strip somebody and like you have complete control over them. So Chicago is really known for the pimping culture. So the Bishop Don magic wand, all the pimps up, hoes down type stuff, the movie. I don't even want to say shit because I feel like that's just But no, I know it's, male a, it's, culture. it's a global thing and it is male culture. But the Chicago thing and some of the things that they have, they were explaining that they had to do yeah. sounds exactly like what I've seen or heard about that mm -hmm. pimps in that culture, the black pimps. And that's talked about on the do. series. So I may not have seen it, but like the keeping the head down, no eye contact with males that are in the area. That's like textbook. Um, and so. And not only that, you have to get also, because I know, I like that they showed that it wasn't just one group that was, they, it, clearly there's a preference as far as you're getting people who are underage. And a lot of the people who seem like in the more recent years were in the 16, 17, where you get it, where you get them right when they're about to turn 18 or right after they turn 18. Something about that, knowing how to target certain individuals that are just more susceptible. Even when they had the adults that were like 30 or 35, they would say like they were previously abused or it was just something where you can tell this person, that's a predator. Like you are identifying, that's exactly how the pimps do. They say they can see someone and they can tell X, Y, and Z. There's a psycho psychology behind it. And it's just disgusting. Like I've never, in all the documentaries, all the stuff that I've heard, I've never heard something like this that it was just so, so much, and there were so many layers to it, and the system that was built around the enablers that are allowing this to happen. Um, it was just, it's just crazy. The thing that really messed me up is, now this is actually rumor, this wasn't reported, I don't think, in the um, movie or the documentary, but about the girl who was peed on still being in the system um, in his okay, I can't talk about that organization. Yeah, I can't talk about that. I mean, it kind of was mentioned towards the end. Every but time I hear about it, it makes me that's choke to up. me the worst part. Yeah. That's why after okay, I heard okay, that, I couldn't. Okay, go okay, yeah, I mean, I hate to like because I I feel like I just never want. I just feel so bad for her. I feel so bad for the family. I feel that's the other thing. There's a psychology behind that, and there's also a psychology which they didn't get into too deep as to why 
the parent why parents would not want to say like that was that individual like they don't really get into it but I can understand all aspects like I've seen a lot of people just being harsh on like a lot of the parents who were featured and I think the people who were on that were so brave like I can't even imagine what it must feel like if you have a teenage daughter and they got caught up in this and how you already are already blaming yourself more than probably anybody could but I don't know. I just feel like, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's just a lot of layers. Like, I can understand everybody's angle. Another thing was, um, not to be on a tangent, but when I was driving today on the radio station, I had to flip it because they had the, I don't know why I would leave it on. They had the open mic for people to call in. Like, a lot of people are saying, how could the parents allow this? What are your take on that? And I just, I'm just flabbergasted. These are people who are talking about people who are, you have 16, 17-year-old kids, right? Yes, you know what your 16 and 17 year old kid is, but you, your parents don't have a tab on every detail of your life of everything that you're doing. Like that's just not right. possible. But I think they're most more so people are referencing, you know, the family that did know um, in that situation. But what do you still, mean did know? They knew. Well, they knew that they were with R. Kelly. Yeah, but they didn't know she was with R. Kelly by themselves. Right, right, right. No, no, no. I, I'm not blaming yeah. or anything like that in this situation. I'm just, I just feel like it's like in those situations, you, I just say you never point the finger until you're in that scenario because this is a mastermind, a master manipulator. And mind you, during the time when all these stuff are going around, if you're like the other person where you really think all these stuff are false, granted, I could say... I could easily say, I want to trust it. You know what I'm saying? But like everybody says that. And then people who are saying this have an uncle in their family, have a brother who's molesting their child. Have a, Everybody has these people around them that you don't think they would be capable of doing it, regardless of what you possibly heard. So everybody who's saying that, obviously it's a problem in the culture and blaming the family and blaming the people around it is not the issue. The issue is the predators that are harking on in the systems that are protecting them and not believing black girls. That's, that's another that's, issue. That's all it comes down to. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, anyways, you know, it's heavy. It got heavy in here. I can feel the tension in the room and the just anxiety and yeah, despair. It's a, it's a tough thing. <laughs> so it's, it's just, it's, there's yeah. no reason why it should be going on this long. And now people are at the joint point where they're making like spoofs and stuff of the thing. What? And so it's really getting out of hand. Obviously those are people, most of them are receiving ridicule, but you know, <sighs> Somebody's gonna watch. See, this is I have muted. You know how they say me. Okay, I have muted. I've muted many people on my social media, so I haven't been seeing the stuff, thankfully. But I I, guess I will say it's a minority. I think most people see the ridiculousness in it. But what I will say is, even though we say it's heavy, it's necessary. The docu series, I feel like, is something people need to watch, and you know, be mindful of your own mental state. But I do feel like it was tactfully done there are some issues you know with Charlemagne and stuff like that being on there and just certain aspects where people I can understand the kind of not really liking that aspect of it but overall I felt like it was a very good documentary and something that was needed and hopefully from this something can be done or looked into further but but at a minimum um survivors voices were heard I think yes their stories were told and hopefully some of those families can get their girls back. Anyways, so we're going to leave it here on the podcast. Thank you so much. If you guys have any comments or any 
things from this episode or questions, please email us at leftonredpod at gmail.com. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and comment below. We will see you guys in the next one. Next week, we're talking about If Bill Street Can Talk, the movie and the book. Anyways, till next time. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.